You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be finishing out 1 Peter today, and uh, I just want you to turn your attention to the screen uh, to reflect on what we're about to study. This world is not our home. We are exiles here, but we have a living hope in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself and suffered for us. We can suffer with patience because he suffered. We can live in humility because he was humble. In his strength, we can resist the enemy. By his grace, we will come home to an eternal glory. In him, we stand firm. In him, we stand firm. In his living hope, we stand firm. And I thought that video, which was created by one of our partner GCC churches, uh, actually really helped tie the whole book together for us. It started out where you couldn't really hear too well uh, that, that we have a living hope in which we stand firm. And uh, today is our last day in our series through this book of First Peter. Uh, and as he brings this plane in for a landing, Peter wants to take all that he, he has written and he wants us to, to remember all of that and to stand firm in it. As we live as strangers and exiles in a fallen world, that's sometimes hostile to our Lord, that's sometimes hostile to us and to our message. As we live through all of the sufferings that life on earth can bring, whether it be through broken governments or broken workplaces or broken marriages or broken societies, um, God wants the hope of eternity to completely change our lives on earth. He wants our hope to be so fixed on Jesus that, that nothing that this world has to offer could knock us off of our feet. And he wants us to be standing firm in that hope together. Together. As his called out church. This is such a big theme in this letter. Uh, that we are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for his own possession. And that he didn't save us merely as individuals. So that we could walk out this Christian life. Knowing that, that we've been saved. And we get to go to heaven someday. And it's just Jesus and me. No he saved us together as his people. And He's given us each other to encourage our hope and to help us to stand firm. That's what we've been studying in this letter since the beginning of the year. And so, uh, for those of you who have been around since the beginning of this study, as we kind of bring this sermon series to a close, I think this is a good time for all of us to to reflect back and to ask, um, have I allowed God to do His work in my heart like He wants to through His Word since the beginning of this study? We started January 6th. And we've been studying this pretty much the, the, the first part of this year. Uh, and and you've got to ask, have I allowed God to produce His purposes in my heart? Have I, have I allowed Him to produce the hope in me that He wants to produce? Or have I stubbornly resisted Him? Or just ignored Him and what He's saying to me? See, we don't, 
want to just come to church week after week and hear some guy talk and, and then kind of get on to the next thing without doing the heart work that God intends to do in our lives through His Word that we so all desperately need. And so, has your hope been growing as we've been studying this book? Do you understand more of the relationship between our eternal hope and how we live our day-to-day lives on earth? I think I can honestly say that that my hope has been growing, that God has been doing that work, and uh, He's been showing me the beauty of the church that He's created. He's been showing me that Jesus really is the only hope that our church has, and and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect in this, I still have... uh, ways to go in, in, in making sure that I don't put my hope on any other thing and I never turn to anything else. And, and uh, God is working on me still, uh, but my hope is growing and, and increasingly so. And I hope and I pray, I pray that He's working on you too. And if your hope hasn't grown at all, if you're just kind of still in that same place of despair, that same place of despondency against the Lord, uh, maybe it, it's time to... to Just ask the Lord right now, would you do your work in my life? Help me to see what is in my heart that's standing against my growth and my hope growing. Show me what I've been missing. If you're visiting with us this morning and you haven't been along for this journey, that's okay. Uh, I believe that God wants to speak to you through his word this morning as well. And we, we believe that every time that we open God's word, we are getting to have a fresh encounter with him as his spirit opens that to us and we get to be changed by him. And so um, that's what we do here. That's why we open this book uh, week after week after week. And if you don't have a copy of this book in your hands, there is uh, one in the seat in front of you. And we would love for you to be seeing God's word for yourself. I'd encourage you to all to lean in to this final message in First Peter And so here's the big idea today. Uh, Stand firm together in Christ's unshakable hope. Stand firm together in Christ's unshakable hope. It's really easy to say. It's really hard to do. It's really hard to do when, when big life decisions are hanging over our heads and, and leaving us a little bit unsure about the future. It's really hard to do when a, a sin that you struggled with a thousand times before and you thought that you had it under control then pops its way back into your head that week. It's really hard to stand firm in hope when you can't see your way out of a physical hardship. It's really hard to stand firm in hope when society uh, seems to be going from bad to worse every single day. It's really hard to do when your kids are not walking with the Lord. But it's in those moments that we most need to lean into the hope that God says is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. And kept in heaven, untainted by all those things in the world. Your hope is unshakable if you believe in Jesus Christ. And so from Peter's final section of this letter, I want us to see how we can stand firm together in Christ's unshakable hope. Would you read with me at beginning in verse 6 of chapter 5? Peter writes, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, 
casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Stand firm to together in Christ's unshakable hope. I want us to see four steps to standing firm. And it starts here. Uh, release your anxieties to a caring God. Release your anxieties to a caring God. So look down at verse 6. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Humble yourselves. This is actually a a passive command. So it could could be translated, uh, let yourselves be humbled. Let yourselves be humbled, therefore. Now now that word, therefore, uh, calls our attention back to the context, right? Like, what's the therefore, therefore? We're always asking that question. And and so he he says that, that God has given us the church... To sustain our hardships. That's, that's the context of this uh, therefore. Okay? He's given us the church to sustain us through suffering. And, and he's, he's given the church a design where, where elders shepherd carefully and they lead out in suffering for the Lord and members submit willingly. And the whole purpose of that suffering is so that we could uh, have our faith purified and our, our witness would be benefited and we would come closer to Christ. And so if we're going to embrace this design of the church that God has given us in elders and members, uh, we are going to have to have this one thing. He says, clothe yourselves in humility. All of you. Clothe yourselves in humility. That's what it's going to take for elders to lay down their lives for the flock. And for members to willingly choose to put themselves under authority. You see, it's pride that gets in the way of fulfilling God's design. And so Peter says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. This is His design, that we would be clothed in humility. We are all suffering in this exile thing together. And that's why Peter says, let yourselves be humbled under the mighty hand of God. Because God's going to draw near to that person. He's going to draw near to that church. And all of the sufferings and the hardships 
of the fallen world are used by the hand of a mighty God to accomplish His purposes. And if we're honest, uh, that, that suffering can bring us pretty low, can't it? Suffering ever brought you to a pretty low place in your life? Suffering humbles us. And so we can do one of three things when we come to that low place. Uh, we can try to fight against our suffering. We've got to get angry about it. And, and we can resist God's purposes in it. That's futile, by the way. Like, if God has a purpose in your suffering and you're fighting it, you're fighting God. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, second, we could, we could try to find hope by escaping our suffering. By trying to, to run away from God's purposes. By, by going the opposite way. And, and usually what that does is that ends up in anxiety and worry. And so you got stress on the one hand if we're fighting God. And you got anxiety and worry on the other hand if we're escaping God. And so the third way is to embrace the low place of humility and release control. It's really the only way of hope and peace. And I know that sounds completely crazy to us in our flesh, but that's how we go about standing firm, is by releasing control. That's what Peter says in verse 2. He says, the way that we demonstrate our humility under the mighty hand of God is by casting our anxieties upon Him because we know that He cares for us. Now, just to be clear, uh, Peter is not using the word anxiety here, uh, like we often use it in our modern society as a, a physical condition. And I just want to acknowledge that there are, at times, uh, physical factors that can make anxiety uh, creep in a little bit worse, right? So I think uh, insomnia is probably the, the easiest example of this. Like when you can't sleep for days upon end, uh, and, and, you know, maybe that's related to the stress. Maybe it's not. Maybe you just can't sleep. Like, I got kids that keep me awake a lot. And, uh, and, and so you, you, you don't have sleep. You don't have sleep. You don't have sleep. What that does is it affects your body. And, and there's, it shows us, like, that there's this real close tie between our bodies and our spiritual lives because we all of a sudden end up pretty anxious when we don't get the sleep that we need. I think that's just one of the easiest ways to see it. Um, there are other factors as well, uh, there are some people who are physically prone to obsessive thoughts or depression or to melancholy or to despair. And, and all of that is part of the fallenness of our bodies. And we should pay attention to the physical factors of anxiety, for sure. Um, but Peter is not talking about anxiety as primarily a physical phenomenon. He, he's talking about the anxious heart. He's talking about the anxious heart. And even for those of us, myself included, who are, are physically prone to anxiety and to spiritual, uh, and to, um, I'm sorry, just a little bit of depression or, or uh, worry, uh, we need to also look at the spiritual roots of our specific anxieties. We need to look at our specific worries and burdens and cares and say, why? Why am I so worried about this? The Bible diagnoses that a major source of anxiety that we hold on to, a major source of ongoing crippling worry and concern, is pride. It's pride. Peter says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God by casting all of your anxieties 
upon Him because He cares for you. It's painful to hear, and I, I, I want to say this so gently, but I still need to say it. Choosing to hold on to anxiety can often be an act of pride. And releasing your anxiety is always an act of humility. Now Peter acknowledges that anxieties exist. So it's not the presence of anxiety that is the main problem. Uh, It's what we do with that anxiety that matters. When the anxiety creeps in, I cast it. I cast it. So how can you tell if you are humble? Well, one of the ways that you can tell if you're humble is you look at the degree to which you trust God with the things that worry you the most. The things that bring greatest concern to your heart. How do you trust God in those things? And anxiety says, uh, my situation is out of control. I need to be mighty. I need to regain control. Humility says, God is the one with the mighty hand. He is the one in control. I, I take him at his word when he says, I care for you. Don't disbelieve that statement. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God because He cares for you. I can trust that He cares for me better than I can care for me. And then I have to make a conscious, active choice to release, to to cast my anxieties upon Him. Uh, So the word for anxiety, I'm sorry, for cast, uh, means literally to throw like i'm just getting rid of it like i'm throwing it away and the word for anxiety uh, can carry this sense of burden Uh, you are throwing your burdens you're throwing the things that weigh heavy upon your heart the things that that make it hard to go to sleep at night and and get up in the morning you're throwing those burdens into the mighty hand of god who cares for you Uh, so i need uh, a volunteer uh, a couple, a volunteer couple. Um, Titus and Becky, you're going to be my volunteer couple. Yeah, thank you for volunteering. I really appreciate that. Um, and, and so, uh, come on up. Uh, Becky, here's your burden. Can you come over here so that I can reach the things that I need to reach? And you can put that on your back. Go ahead. And uh, both, both shoulder straps for your own sake. Um, so we have all these uh, anxieties and uh, stressors in our lives. And uh, so, you know, it kind of starts out with just the, like, the week that is kind of busy. And, uh, you know, you're not really sure how this is going to go. And, and uh, it's, it's, you know, you're like, I'm not quite sure how I'm going to get it all done. But, but you know what, I can kind of handle that. It's heavy, but it's not too heavy. And then all of a sudden you remember uh, that you're... Um, your relationship with your parents is kind of strained. And so now that starts weighing a little bit heavy on your back. And, and then you remember that you have this really big decision that's coming up in your life. And, um, and, and it's getting uh, heavier and heavier. And uh, together with all the other things, that's really not feeling good right now. And, and so you add to that fact then that your, your boss just threw a whole bunch of stuff on your plate uh, that you weren't expecting. And uh, you doing okay? I- yeah, surviving. Yep, yep. Well, not yet. Uh, we're not done yet. So uh, then, then you, uh, you you realize that because in the middle of all this busyness, you you haven't even thought about Titus all week long, and uh, and so now now you're feeling like a bad wife 
and, uh, and that's causing you to be anxious. And then, and then that reminds you about your kids, and, uh, and, and you, you like worry, like, are they going to start following, are they going to follow Jesus the, the way that they should? And, and, uh, and so, you know, what happens then is we hold on to all of these things, and, uh, and they, they start weighing heavy upon our back, and we start to feel like we can't stand up underneath the weight of it all. And instead of standing firm, you start to begin to cave. You're like, would a chair be really nice right now? Um, like just, you know, we, we start to try to like get the things out of our backpack, but you probably couldn't reach them and you probably couldn't get there. Right. And, and so what we need to do in that moment, Peter says is throw it. Titus, you're Jesus now. <laughs> so we, yeah, we throw it. Yeah. Right. How's that feel? Oh yeah. You feel light. Okay. Thank you. You can have a seat. You throw your anxiety upon the Lord as fast as you can. You go to Him in prayer and you acknowledge your anxieties and you acknowledge His power and you seek His purposes and then you stop trying to play God. You stop trying to be all-knowing like God and, and trying to figure out why you're going through the situation that you're going through. And you try to stop looking into the future to see all the things that you weren't created to see. You stop trying to be all present like God, thinking that you can be in all places at once and stop everything from falling apart. And if I can just be with my kids, and if I can just be uh, overseeing that situation and, and, and being right in the middle of this other situation, then you know, if I could just be everywhere at once, then everything would go well. You, you stop trying to be all powerful like God thinking that you can get everything done like Superman or Superwoman. And listen, uh, the mighty hand of God has allowed those pressures, those burdens into your life, and He is inviting you, no, He is commanding you to cast them back to Him, to throw them back into His mighty hands. If you try to throw it anywhere else, it's just going to find its way back onto your back. But if you learn to throw it on God, He's going to be able to, He's going to make you stand firm. And so I just want to ask you very personally what anxieties do you need to release today? What do you need to go to Him in prayer about and, and acknowledge His power and seek His purposes and stop trying to be God? Release your anxieties to a caring God. That, that's the first step in, in standing firm together in Christ's unshakable hope. Here's the second step. Uh, resist your adversary with resolved faith. So we release our anxieties and then we need to resist our adversary. Look at verse 8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So if we are going to stand firm, we have to understand that we have an adversary who is on the prowl. Verse 8 calls him the devil, which means the accuser. 
He tries to, first of all, trap us in our sin. And then once we are trapped in our sin, he tries to accuse us and devour us with shame and guilt. Which, you know what that does? It sends us usually running away from God because we think, oh, God doesn't want me anymore because of how much I've messed up again. And so then we go back to sin and we go back to self and the whole process just keeps repeating. That's how your adversary works. Peter compares him to a lion on the prowl. And so I just wanted to give you a little bit of a picture of what this looks like. Uh, check this video out. Little guy's just at the zoo having a good day. Scary, right? Can you imagine if that enclosure wasn't there? Like that's you without the protection of God against your adversary. See, lions hunt those who are most vulnerable. Those who are already at a disadvantage. Those who are not paying attention. Did you notice how the lion waits till the little boy turns the other way and then just goes after him? This is why I don't trust cats, by the way. But it wasn't until the boy turned around until the lion pounced. And we've already said that, that suffering in, a, in this fallen world is going to bring us low. It's going to bring us to this place of vulnerability. And it's going to make us prime targets for the enemy. Especially, especially if we forget that there's an adversary out there. If we're just kind of the antelope out in the field grazing on the grass... Like nothing's, there's not a care in the world. We're, we're maybe separated from the herd. Separated from God's people. Maybe not paying too much attention. We're, we're at that point vulnerable to his attacks. And so Peter says we need to be sober minded. We need to be clear headed in our thinking. We, we need to be watchful. We can't turn our backs like the kid in the video. So here's what this means. We, we need to know where we are most tempted to sin and we need to be on guard. Realize those moments when you're at your weakest. When you're really, really tired. Or you're overworked. Or you're crazy busy. Those are moments where the enemy is going to try to creep in and attack in your most vulnerable place. Realize when you're isolated from the body of believers. That's when the enemy's going to attack. You need to understand the things that he hates the most. So, so have you ever noticed like getting to church on a Sunday morning is sometimes way harder than getting anywhere else in life? And, and if there's going to be sickness in our family, I guarantee you it's going to happen on a Friday or Saturday night. Poor Katie has missed more church since I became a pastor. Or when you step out in faith to serve others in some way, or to tell them about Jesus, that you're just going to be more prone to attack. Like when you get about the things of the Lord, when you get about ministry, you better watch out. And that's not to say that you stop doing those things. It means that you realize your adversary. It actually is, is confirmation that you're doing the right thing. If the enemy isn't bothered by you, if he's not going after you, you're probably in the right place. Or you're probably not in the right place. Peter says, resist him. Resist him. This is an active posture that, that does not allow the adversary to gain ground in your life. 
And so how, how do we resist the enemy? Well, Peter actually tells us. A lot of commentators tell, say that, that Peter doesn't tell us. He does tell us right there. He says, stand firm in your faith. He says, resist him firm in the faith. The faith is the way that we resist the enemy. We resist the devil by returning to the foundation of the gospel in our life. That we have a Savior who died in our place for our sin. That He might bring us into relationship with the infinite God of the universe. We have a Lord who, who conquered Satan when He conquered the grave. And all things are under His feet. And by the way, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you're the kid in the video without the glass. That's you. You're stuck. The enemy will attack. And chances are you've already been devoured, except that the Lord would come into your life and save you. And you need to return from relying on yourself and trust Jesus today. He's your only hope. We cannot resist the adversary by relying on ourselves more. We resist the adversary by relying on Christ more. We resist him by relying on Christ in faith, by, by doubling down on what we believe. Uh, faith is, is placing all of my trust in the one who has secured my salvation in order to combat the enemy's schemes. Faith refuses to give in to the authority of the enemy because of the superior authority of the Lord in my life. And so here's what this looks like. Uh, remember that the, the word devil means accuser. And so I just want us to think about two different accusations. Often he says something like this. He says, uh, you're going through this hard time right now. Uh, God must be so unpleased with you. He, he, might, he, he just wants to kick you to the curb and, and be done with you. In that moment when you hear that voice, you go back to your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, it was never about my performance before God in the first place. It was never about how much I had it all together, how perfect my life looked, how much it, in, in my control it was going. It was always about Christ's performance on my behalf. See, God sees me as He sees Jesus, who died and rose again in my place. And I'm moving forward in God's purposes, no matter what I'm going through, no matter where that takes me. And you also remember what Peter says in verse 9, that brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same types of suffering. There is nothing new to you. And it might look a little bit different than other people in our church, but it's not new to you. Realize that we stand firm together because we serve a Savior who suffered so that we could be His people together. We stand firm in a common faith. We help one another keep going in that faith. Another common attack of the enemy looks like this. He'll say something like, you doubt too much. Here's Pastor Ben talking about resolved faith. But you don't have resolved faith. Resolved faith. You're a doubter. Are you even really a Christian? Like, How could you even call yourself a Christian when you don't have all of the answers to the questions that you're too afraid to ask? Have you ever heard that voice inside your head? Raise your hand a little higher. Give some support to the people who didn't know that anybody else thought that way. 
at that moment you go back to your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, I don't have all the answers, but I know the one who does. And God shows me and secured me and opened my eyes when I was in complete unbelief. When I was still his enemy, when I didn't know anything about him, he chose me. When I wasn't searching him at all, he had me and he chased after me. And so I'm pretty sure he can handle my doubts. And you cry out to God and you say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And you call up a brother or sister in Christ and you say, I hate to admit this, but I'm really struggling with doubts today. Uh, tell me what's true. Can you just tell me what's true? That's faith exercising its resolve to make you stand firm. And so what are the ways that you're prone to the adversary's attack? What does it look like to stand firm in your faith in those attacks? You need to take time to think through those things. When, you're, when you go home today, when you go home this week, think through what does the attack look like very often in my life? What is it going to look like to stand firm when it comes? It's so important that we learn to rest our faith on God and not ourselves in order to resist the adversary's attack. That's where Peter goes next in verse 10. He says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. The third step in standing firm in the living hope of Christ is rely on God's ability to finish what He started. Rely on God's ability to finish what he started. Peter says, after you have suffered for a little while, there's, there's process going on here. And, and, and I'm kind of like, that's kind of vague, Peter. A little while? Like, could you please be a little bit more specific than a little while for me? I'd like to know exactly how long I'm going to suffer, thank you. But he doesn't, right? He doesn't give us... The definition for a little while. And remember that this, this letter is going to churches all over the Roman Empire. And it's going to be different for all of them. And also remember that, that Peter's whole goal in this letter is to allow the hope of eternity to change our lives on earth. He's going for an eternal perspective here. And so a little while in light of eternity could be a, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Could be the rest of your life. But when you look at that in the great eternal perspective, it's a little while. Remember the truth of our living hope. That if we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, we have been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for us, who by God's power are being guarded for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last day. Jesus has secured an eternal hope in the future because of his work in the past. He's going to finish what he started. You can be sure of it. Uh, back to verse 9. Notice what Peter says. He says, The God of all grace who has called you. Who has called you. It's, it's done in the past. It's already happened. God has initiated His work of salvation in calling you. He has 
called you, and Peter says he will himself restore you. Hear this. He's not outsourcing the job. He's not delegating the task of caring for his children. He is personally making sure it's going to happen. Isn't that comforting to you? You don't have to ha- you don't have some hireling in heaven making sure that you don't fall away from God. The boss of the universe is paying personal attention to the job. And you don't have to think that you are too small or insignificant for that. Uh, God is big enough to handle your insignificance. He, he, is, he is big enough to, to handle each one of His children and to care for them personally. And yes, you are really small compared to Him. But He is so big that He wants to come near in your life. And the one who has dominion forever and ever is personally finishing what He started. He himself will restore, confirm, and strengthen and establish you. It's interesting. If you look at the different translations, uh, they'll have different words uh, for all four of those words. And, and they'll, they'll kind of you know, even use the same word, but in a different order. That's because all four of the original words mean almost the same thing. They're, they're so similar. And Peter's just like repeating it over and over and over again. He wants to get this point across that God will make you unshakable as you place your faith in Him. He will empower you to stand firm. As you release your anxieties to the care of God and you resist your adversary with resolved faith in God, He will finish what He started. That's what our fighter verse was talking about a few weeks ago. Many of you would have memorized this. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Are you sure of that? Are are you sure? You can be sure that God will finish what he started. And if you aren't sure, find assurance in how Peter finishes the verse. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Like Jesus is the one who's conquered Satan, sin, and death. He has won the victory. All of time and space is moving toward this moment where all things are under his feet. Peter reminded us in chapter 3 that Jesus is the resurrected one who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. He gave us a similar doxology in chapter 4, verse 17. To Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And here again in chapter 5, Peter wants us to see the absolute power of our Savior and Lord to finish what He started. That's our hope. To him be dominion and glory. I'm sorry, to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, it sort of sounds like Peter wanted to end there. uh, But remember, this is a letter. And so he needs to uh, finish off his letter with kind of a standard farewell. And um, we find that in verse 12. And this farewell is, is not some unrelated bunch of words that don't mean anything to us. Remember, it's a letter, but it's also an inspired letter. And so the Holy Spirit has has inspired Peter to write every single word, and every single word counts. And so uh, we get to verse 12, and, and he says, By Silvanus, 
a faithful brother as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. See, the last step that we need to take to stand firm is this. Receive God's attested grace revealed through His church. Receive God's attested grace revealed through His church. Peter tells us that this letter is coming by the hand of Silvanus. Uh, Silvanus is also known as Silas in the Bible. Uh, Silas is probably the Aramaic form. Silvanus is the Latin form, in case you care. Um, Silas started out as a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And eventually he became a part of Paul's church planting team. And uh, he was involved in the sending of the letters of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. And now he's here with Peter. Like Silas is a key worker in the establishment of the early church all across the Roman Empire. And it's a little unclear if Silas was a, a secretary of sorts for Peter as he wrote or if he was just a messenger. But at, at any rate, he, he's regarded as a faithful brother. And he, he plays a key role in delivering this letter that is the true grace of God. It's the revelation of God's grace. Peter has done some exhorting. If you remember back to this letter that we studied, he's done some exhorting of the church, telling the church what to do. He's done some declaring. He's reminded us of what is already true because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. And haven't we seen throughout this letter that, that Christ's work is securing for us an eternal hope that changes our lives, but then leaves us with some things to do? Namely, that we are to stand firm in His grace. We are to stand firm in His grace. We rely on God's grace, attested in this letter from Peter. We receive it. We believe it. We must if we are going to stand firm. His grace is truth, and His truth is grace. We, we need to allow this Word of God to, to have its full effect on our hearts. We need to allow Him to stir up our hope and to change our lives. And we can't go through a study like this and say, Oh, oh, that's nice. Now I got to read another letter uh, that was written 2,000 years ago. There's another notch on my belt. Pat on the back. Get my sticker. We need to be asking ourselves, How has the grace revealed in this letter changed us? How has it increased our hope of eternity? What practical effect has it had on my life God wants to bring about real change as He personally encounters us in His Word. I'll come back next week for more of that. And as Peter closes the letter, he reminds us that we are not alone in this endeavor to to grow in our faith and to stand firm. He says, She who is at Babylon is likewise chosen, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. Uh, He's talking about the church who is in Rome. That's the she who is in Babylon. The church that is in Rome. He borrows language from the Old Testament where God's people were living as exiles in Babylon. And and, uh, God had people whom he had chosen there and he would bring them home to live with him. And this church who, who has never met most of the people who are receiving this letter is sending greetings 
to the other churches scattered throughout the large part of the Roman Empire. And I, I just I just love the picture of that, that, that like we don't have to know each other face to face in order to have that uh, solidarity in the gospel. It's not just the church generally then, but specific people who love them. So Mark, my son, sends greetings. Like, have it had all of them met Mark? I, I doubt it. That'd be a lot of people for Mark to meet. And given the large geographic span of the letter, it's not likely. Now, now they may have read Mark's account, depending on when it was written, Mark's, the Gospel of Mark. But the, even then, they, it's only a guy that they had heard of in passing. And so he wants to send his love to these churches. And Peter's reminding them that they are standing firm together. They are people praying for them. They are people who love them. They they. they, they there are people who are experiencing the same kinds of sufferings that, that they are all throughout the world. And the same hope belongs to them all. This is, by the way, the reason we, we give reports, like I said earlier. This is the reason why we give reports from other churches around the world. Because there are people who love you and who care for you and are praying for you. And, you, uh, and we want to have you caring and loving and praying for them. Because that's how God works in his broader church. And we also want to remember that we here in our church have each other. Peter says, uh, greet one another with the kiss of love. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to suggest direct application to that uh, today. And you don't have to go out in the lobby except for my wife. Um, she can directly apply that. Uh, but there you go. Um, uh, aside from that, maybe, maybe a, a hug of love if you're given the proper permission or a handshake of love uh, would be just fine. But, but it's, a, it's reminding each other that there is a familial bond that says we are in this together. We are in this together. The point is to remember that we're family. We're, we're called out as strangers and exiles in a hostile world we're awaiting our heavenly home with eternal hope. And so that warm greeting, that, that welcoming of a fellow stranger in this world awaiting their heavenly home can go so far in encouraging one another to stand firm. Don't underestimate the power of that. It's so important. Standing firm requires four steps. We need to release our anxieties to a caring God. We need to resist our adversary with resolved faith. We need to rest in God's ability to finish what he started. And we need to rely on God's attested grace revealed through his church. And if we truly allow God to do that work in us, the result's going to be true peace in which we stand firm. Peter closes his letter with this simple desire for all churches, a peace to all of you who are in Christ Jesus. The result of having true hope is true peace with each other, with the Lord. And so where do you need peace today? What are the anxieties that you need to release? What are, what are the battles of faith where the enemy is trying to trip you up? Father, would you uh, show us show us where we're not trusting you? You show us where, where we need to, uh, to grow in our, our hope of you. 
and where we need to allow that hope to change our lives, to change how we think and how we live. Father, I pray for those here who are are going through anxieties and and burdens and um, who are feeling the very real weight of a fallen world. I pray that you would uh, strengthen them this morning. I, I pray that you would cause them to stand firm. That they would reach out and, and lean into the gift that you've given in the church. Lord, reveal to us uh, where we're holding on to anxiety because of pride. Remind us of our sure hope that is in Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.